I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the book of John in chapter 4. We're in a theme this year in 2019 called It's All About Jesus. When we look at the life of Christ, Sometimes when we, when we see what happened early in his life, we can see why it had such an impact in the later days in his life. And we get to see how people interacted with him in his early ministry days and how that affected how they interacted with him in his later ministry days. So it's, it's, it's great to see exactly how all of this works together in the life of Christ. When I was a kid of about seven or eight years old, our family had a few other families that we liked to go out and, and recreate with. And one of, the, one of the things that we did often with two other families in our town was we would go to the lake often during the summertime. You'd grab the ice chests and the, and the chairs and you'd load up all the kids in the truck you could ride in the back of the truck back then. You, could, you just throw everything in there, kids' chairs, ice chests, anything, blow up um, life jackets, and boom, you're on your way to the lake. And as two of the families would, would bring a boat, and you'd try and pack kids into the boat, and one of the things that, that we would learn as kids was how to water ski. And there was about seven of us kids that were my age. And when you're out on a weekend or on a, on a Saturday out of the lake and there's nine adults and seven kids, you're going to get an opportunity to try about twice during the day. I had watched my brother and some of our other friends actually learn how to get up on their water skis and ride around the lake for about 20 minutes before their turn was over. And they would just, you know, you fall and then it's somebody else's turn. But when it came to my chance to get out in the water and you put on this life vest and you're just kind of bobbing and you've got a 50-foot rope between you and the boat and eventually it's going to be really tight and start dragging you in the water. It wasn't something that I picked up as quickly as many others, the adults and the kids alike. Some of the kids had even graduated from skiing on two skis and they graduated to what they call slalom when you're on one ski and you get to shoot that big rooster tail up and it looks really super cool. Well, I was the kid that was way behind the boat. When I told them I was ready, they would, they would throw the throttle down and they would start pulling me and I would end up doing a very painful splits every single time. I just, I saw the joy in other people, in the adults. I saw the joy in the other kids who were actually able to water ski and they would get up and they would just ride around the lake and enjoying themselves behind the boat being pulled and kind of doing some jumps over the, a few little waves. That joy in others was amazing for me to watch, but I hadn't experienced that. There's something in our lives... There's something in our lives when it comes to Jesus that is so important when we see other people experiencing Jesus. But if we haven't had that expect if we haven't had that experience yet, it's only something that we see. And today I want you to see that if you're living a life where you're experiencing Jesus, I want you to see that there are other people who see you that aren't yet experiencing what Jesus can do for them, but they see 
what he's doing for you. The people of Galilee had heard of the works of Jesus. It was in the city of Cana, which is in Galilee, where Jesus had turned water into wine, and the word started to get out. And many of the Jews who lived in Galilee had been to Jerusalem for the Passover a few weeks before this moment in time, and they had heard what Jesus had done. They had heard that he was doing miracles. Maybe they saw him drive the money changers out of the temple and tell the guys who were selling the doves and the sheep and the ox to get out. They had seen him but they hadn't experienced him. So far, they knew that there was joy, but they hadn't been able to experience joy. It leads to a trait that we're going to see today in the life of the Galileans. And it's a trait that you and I can relate to in our lives as well, and other people that you know who are at home, or maybe you know them from work, that they are experiencing also. It's this trait of curiosity. It's a curiosity about Jesus that we see throughout his ministry, and it's a curiosity that other people have when they see you living for Christ. Why is he different? Why doesn't she talk like everyone else talks at work? What is it about her that that when everything seems down and terrible that she can still smile? Wow, if I lived in her shoes, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how she does it. You know how she does it? Jesus. That's how. And see, others see that quality in us and it creates a curiosity. Somebody once said that curiosity is a willing, a proud, and an eager confession of ignorance. It says, I don't know the answer, but I am willing and proud to look into it and find out. We're in John chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be reading verses 43 through 53 in a message that I have titled, Experiencing Christ for Yourself. Many of us may have had a grandmother who warned us about curiosity, that curiosity can get us into trouble, right? That once you step over a line of curiosity into the unknown, that, that there could be trouble there. And I won't argue the point of grandma to tell us that. It's, it is really important to be careful about curiosity. But there is almost an amazing reaction that can happen when people are curious about Jesus. And I know for sure, I can tell you, I know for sure not everyone here is fully aware of what it is that Jesus can bring to your life. There's some people here who have maybe been Christians for quite a while, but you know what Christ has brought to other people's lives, but you're not fully aware. You, you, haven't, you haven't grabbed onto Christ as deeply as he's grabbing onto us, that, that we haven't spent as much time in our Bible as we need to, to to deeply understand exactly what Christ can do for us. And there's some people here who might be really early in your Christian walk. There's something about a curiosity in Jesus that can bring people to Christ. Would it be fair to say there's also a, that there's also a curiosity in drugs that could take people onto the wrong path? 
But there's a curiosity about Jesus and what Jesus can do that brings people closer. There's, again, people in your life that you might not even know of. They're not even coming to mind right now, but they're looking at you. John tells us a story of of this exact thing happening when he writes for us in John chapter 4, and we're going to start reading here in verse number 43. Hang, uh, Hang with us through your Bible if you can. We're going to try and put as much up here as we can, or we're not. We're going to have the logo of the church up here is what we're going to have. Um, I know that's not going to help out tremendously, but I will, uh, I'll read this to you if you have a Bible or a Bible app. Um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. We're in John chapter 4, verse number 43. John writes this. At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. Really quick, I'm going to explain that. The last time that we were in this sermon series was before Easter. We were in Samaria, where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, right? We took a four-week break for Easter. And so remember that the people of the town that the woman lived in, they asked Jesus to stay, right? And here it says that he did. Okay? He stayed, but he stayed for two days. At the end of two days, Jesus went to Galilee. I explained that. It was, we had a map ready to go. Remember the last time we had talked that we had put up a map a while back that showed that Galilee was north of Samaria and it was in the middle of Samaria and Judea, which was in the south. And typically Jews would walk around Galilee because they didn't want to walk through because these people were looked down upon in the middle, okay? So Jesus was in Samaria, and he walked north into Galilee. This is the northern portion. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown, verse number 45, yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, and they had seen everything he did there. I want to make a point out of that. They saw what he had done. It doesn't mean they experienced what he had done, but they had seen, they had heard, they had heard rumors. They knew something, but they didn't truly know what Jesus could do. Point number one in your notes this morning. The curiosity of what Jesus can do in a life begins at the first introduction to our Savior. The curiosity of what Jesus can do in a life begins at the first introduction to our Savior. Let me tell you this. The first time that you mention Christ in your workplace to one of your co-workers who doesn't know Christ, you have sparked curiosity. It's not our job. We're not going to be the ones that brings hearts. The Holy Spirit is the the path for people to come to Christ, but you and I are the conduit. You and I are the means. We have a job, right? And sometimes our job is to spark that curiosity and then to control that spiritual direction. The woman at the well was curious, and she went back and she told people in her house, And they came, and people from the city came. And now we have people who live in Galilee who are very interested to hear what Jesus can do. Now that they heard that Jesus is coming into their territory, now they're like really interested. It's almost as if if, if one of your favorite musicians is coming to town and it's going to, it is, there's going to be a concert down the road, but you're really interested. You're curious as to what's going to happen. You want to go. You, you want to see this show, right? 
Now, we don't want to look at Jesus as a show, but Jesus did signs and miracles. And John says, all of this was written so that you would believe. There's a gentleman by the name of Dale Bogman who once says, once said this, he says, adults ask questions because they want to do something with the answers. Children ask questions because they want to know, well, because they just want to know, right? Who knows of a child who has asked that one word question that drives all parents mad on the way home, 15 minutes in the car on the way home from dance recital, right? They're in the back seat saying what? Why? 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 I think I just explained that. Why? But you know what? Because they want to know. Because they're curious. There was a time when the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens, which is in Greece, and and he was walking through the marketplace, and, and he saw all of these different idols in the marketplace. There were rocks that were worshipped, and fountains, and, and, and gold bowls that were worshipped, and, and he's walking through, and he even sees an idol here that it says, there, there's like a marker above it, and it says, to an unknown God. The Athenians had an idol that was to a god that they didn't even know existed simply so that they wouldn't miss a god when they were worshiping everything they could possibly think of worshiping. Paul goes out on the street corner and he starts preaching about Jesus. And the Athenians, they actually wanted to know more. They're like, hey, what is this? They're curious about learning about what Paul is talking about. We hear the story, Luke writes this in Acts chapter 17, verse 19. Luke says this, And they took him, Paul, to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know all about it. See, they had a curiosity about what Paul was talking about. These people happened to be a group of people who were tied very closely to philosophers and, and, and other men who would, who would teach in the area, and they were wide open to all different types of thought. But they had a curiosity about what Paul was talking about. Let me tell you, at your home, at your work, at the store, wherever you hobby, there's somebody who has a curiosity about Jesus. There's somebody through what you do or what you say has a curiosity. There's something about curiosity that can open up an entire world that we hadn't even imagined. Sometimes curiosity can get us into major trouble. It's that see-for-yourself mentality, right, that, can, that can, can lead us down the wrong path, but it can also lead us to the right path. It can bring us sometimes so far away from God. But sometimes curiosity could bring us so close to Jesus as well. We can all remember a time in our life, I'm sure, when we'd been told about something that wasn't good for us. And that sparked interest. Somebody told us, what do they say as parents? You tell the kids to stay away from it and they're going to do what? Right? Yeah, so... Some parents would be like, well, I'm just not going to say anything because it's going to keep them a little more safe. Well, what if we just said nothing about Jesus? What if we said nothing about sin? 
What if we said nothing about these things that the Bible needs us to stay away from? If it's our life manual, we need to be teaching from the life manual, right? And yes, that's going to lead to some curiosities, but it needs to be leading or it will spark a curiosity about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do in my life. It's exploring this that we can find it becomes a question mark originally in somebody's life, but something that then becomes absolute truth in the life of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's that person who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That It's that person who sees you. They hear you talk. They hear there's something different. And let me tell you something about curiosity. Curiosity will move feet. It will move somebody in one direction. The question is, what direction are the feet moving? Are they moving towards sin and shame? Or are they moving towards Jesus? And see, that's where you and I come into play. is because it's our job to properly direct feet and properly direct spiritual curiosity. Would it be fair to say that even within the realm of spirituality, there's some areas that we don't need to be going to, right? There are some areas. The Bible gives us clear guidelines. That's where we as Christians need to stay. That's where those who are just coming to Christ need to stay and need to see. And that's where we need to be leading other people too, is this area where Jesus is. I want you to transition and come back with me. We're in John chapter 4, verse 46. John writes this, As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Point number two in your notes this morning. When people have no other answer, they will turn to what they didn't know existed. When people have no other answer, they're going to turn to things that they didn't even know existed. They didn't know that it was within their power to grab hold of. They didn't know 10 days ago that it could help them out. But when you're desperate, you'll do anything, right? Oh, I pray for those who are desperate. Because this world has its hand open to so many different options. But there's one truth that is offered. Jesus' hand is always, always there. I want to... We had a map that was ready to go up here to show you Cana and show you Capernaum because both of these cities are very important in this piece of scripture. We see that Jesus is coming into Cana and this gentleman has come from Capernaum. And we'll study this more, so we'll have it on the screen here soon. Capernaum is a city by the Sea of Galilee. Cana is about 20 miles away. In that day and age, it's about a day's journey by foot. This Roman official is stationed in Capernaum. That's where he's at. But he hears that Jesus is coming, that Jesus is in the area. He leaves his family and he starts walking. Now I want you to think about that, dads. There's, there are times when our family is very sick that we don't want to leave the hospital, right? If our family is sick and, and dying, and somebody is 
But this father left. It's a day's journey from Capernaum to Cana, and it's a day's journey back. And he left to try something new. Just something he had heard about. He doesn't know. He's never actually seen Jesus heal someone. But it's worth a try, right? So he's walking. This gentleman, he's a government, he's a Roman government official, and, and even this is important to our story. He's not Jewish. He's not somebody who would typically follow somebody like Jesus. The Romans are pagans. They have their own set of gods that they worship if they worship. They're, so he's an employee of Rome who works in Capernaum, and they manage the land. They direct the land. They tax the people. They focus on keeping the people. Just don't fight, don't argue, just kind of live here. Pay your taxes. This is our land. We let you live in it, okay? He didn't grow up worshiping the God of Israel. He didn't worship and care or, or focus on the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wasn't waiting for the Messiah. This was all foreign to him. This was all new to him. If you remember when Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem, and there's Roman officials. Herod, he had to hear from the wise men exactly what was going on. He didn't know what was going on, really. He hadn't read the scripture. It's not his faith. This guy here, this is not his faith system, but his son is dying and he will try anything. He'll take the day's journey on foot to go from Capernaum up the hill into Cana. When your kid's dying, you'll do something like that. The Bible says that this government official begged Jesus to come to Capernaum. I don't know if you've noticed this about men in general, but we traditionally don't like to beg. We really don't. But we turn into a mess when it comes to our kids. We'll do anything that it takes to help our children. This father, this man who is a Roman official, a government official, but he's a father first, he is willing to explore his curiosity. If, if this man can heal my son, I'm willing to go and see him. I'm willing to go and ask Honestly, for all he knew, Jesus could be a snake oil salesman. He doesn't know. He hasn't experienced Christ for himself. He's seen and he's heard, but he hasn't experienced Christ for himself. You remember those days before you came to Christ that you had seen and you had heard, but we don't grow that deep until we actually experience Jesus ourselves in our own lives. Could have just seen Jesus as another camera trick, as another miraculous thing that happened. He doesn't know, but he's willing to follow his curiosity. He undoubtedly would have had access to whatever possible great insurance program that the government offered, right? He had the, he had the awesome um, Kaiser plan, you know, or whatever they happen to have. He's a government official. So you think, whatever he has access to, isn't enough to solve the problem of his son who is dying. And he's willing to reach out to something that he didn't even know existed. Many of you know that during the week I spend a few days a week as a jail chaplain. I, I work for the county of Riverside for the sheriff's department. And it's not uncommon that I will be in a group of 15 inmates and, and 
will hear for maybe the first time in their lives that they're ready to grow, and they're ready to grow in Christ. See, it's the one thing about jail, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to move you closer to God because you're looking to get away from your sin, or it's going to grow you further away from him because you live in isolation with a lot of people who are very comfortable in a sinful atmosphere. They're very comfortable in a, in a lifestyle of, of crime or whatever it was that led them there. And those are the people you live with every day. Not the world's best influence when it comes to healthy living. But it's not uncommon that I'll come across a 20-year-old men, 30-year-old men, 60-year-old men, 80-year-old men that will say, Chaplain, can I have a Bible? Because I want to read for the first time what Jesus is saying. Like, my mom took me to church when I was a kid, and, like, I don't remember much of it, but someone planted a seed, and I need help. Like, I don't know what answers he offers, but I know what this world offers, and this is the best I can do on my own, is get here. I want to start reading. They... They don't know what else to turn. They know there's answers in the book, but they don't know what all of the answers are. They're the lowest point in their lives, and they're turning to an answer that they didn't even know existed. There's answers that, that are going to be able to shape the rest of their lives in ways that they can't even imagine. And that's the same thing about people in our lives. That's the same thing our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors we can give them a Bible, but we can't tell them exactly how this is going to change their lives because Jesus changes lives in ways that we can't even fathom. He changes lives in ways that we can't even imagine. It's one of the things about Jesus is that he is so much more than any of us know. As Christians here today, just knowing what our life was like, and knowing maybe what's in store, what we haven't yet grasped, what we haven't experienced of Jesus yet, it reminds us that we turned to God for help once. And it reminds us that there's others who, if they haven't turned to God for help, that we are to be that example, to be that helping hand to lead people to places that they, that they don't even know are available to lead them to a god that offers forgiveness that that we don't deserve to lead them to jesus who reaches out in love like no one else has ever reached out before to to lead them to comfort like like a warm blanket that we haven't felt since we were a child to lead people to somebody like jesus who listens like no one else has listened in our life before and to somebody who knows us deeper than anyone in this world has ever taken the time to get to know you that's what God can do. And we found this because we were curious. There's people in your life who are curious right now about what Jesus brings. But they might not be telling you, hey, I'm curious. But there's curiosity in their heart. 
We can actually walk into relationships with that assumption, knowing that that curiosity is there, knowing that we planted a seed when we told them about Jesus, when we told them that we're Christians a while back and we didn't really feel comfortable talking to them at work about Christ, but that seed's been planted. That curiosity is there. We don't have to ask, is it there? It's there. We can take that next step and say, I know that you're curious. I want you to come to church with me. I know that you're curious. I want you to come out. We're going to go invite the neighborhood. Can you just come and and put some things on doors with us? I want you to meet my church family. I want you to meet other Christians. I know you're curious about what this whole church thing is about. Come with me and let me show you. It begs the question, what is it that we are turning to in our time of trial and heartbreak because, watch this, those people, our other friends and family, they're watching us. They're watching us. What are we turning to? Are we turning to the world for wisdom? Are we, are we, still, turning for, are we still turning to drugs here and there when the church people aren't looking? Are we still turning to YouTube for answers? See, There's people in your life who are coming to you. And if they are, we need to be pointing them in the right direction. Amen? What is it that you and I are showing others about Jesus? What is it that you and I are telling others about Jesus? Are we telling them that He is safe? That He is loved? That He is forgiving? That He is pure? That He is absolutely magnificent that he is joy that he is truth that he is that he simply is amen every one of us here knows someone i know i've said that 10 times this morning but everyone here knows someone who's going through something right now. Maybe they're going through marriage problems or maybe it's money problems or health issues or maybe it's safety concerns or, or maybe it's heartbreak or lonely. At some point, someone will step up and say, you know what, I'll try that if that'll work. It's my prayer that everyone in the city of Paris 73,000 people will say, okay, it's time. I'm ready. I'll try Jesus. And you know why? It's because of us that lead. Our job is to lead. There are people, Chantel had made mention earlier this morning about people in China and in other places who don't have great access to the Bible. And there's people who will risk their lives to tell them. Here, typically in a town like Paris, we don't have to risk our lives, but sometimes we look at speaking the gospel and we say, you know what, I might have to risk my reputation. I might have to risk the way that people look at me. I might have to risk being tough guy because people are going to look at me as Jesus guy. You know what? When people start looking at you as Jesus guy, actually, it's a lot better than people looking at you as tough guy. It really is. Because when they're looking at you as Jesus guy, they're looking at you as somebody who can lead them to answers. They're looking at you as somebody who has a direction to point them in. I'm not saying that you have all the answers. I'm not saying that I have all the answers. But I'll tell you what, I've got a friend in heaven who has all the answers. 
I'll tell you that I've got a book that I can give you that has all the answers. And I'll tell you that on Thursday morning and on Thursday evening and on Sunday morning, we've got groups that we're going to get together and we're going to study these answers together. And I'll tell you that there's an open door and my phone number's on all kinds of things and, and there's a website and there's many leaders here that you can call and you can say, Pastor, I don't know about this. Can we talk? Yeah. Because you know what it is? That's your curiosity that's taken the next step. Curiosity leads to action. And as a church, it's our job to be ready for the action that other people are going to be taking. And it's our job to be able to step into a situation, to step into a city, and to actually cause action. I want you to come back with me into John chapter 4. We're in verse number 48. So this official had come and talked to Jesus, and look what he says. Jesus says this, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him this, watch this, Go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and he started home. Point number three in your notes. When we are desperate, we will beg and plead for Jesus. When we are desperate, sometimes it takes that level of desperation to come to Jesus. If that's what it takes to come to Jesus, that's fine. Well, let desperation bring people to Jesus. Sometimes your kids are going to come to Jesus because you've taught them throughout their lives who Jesus is and you've nurtured them. But not everyone in our world was nurtured by Christ-fearing parents. Sometimes it takes desperation to bring people to Christ. If that's what it takes, we need to be a church that's here and ready. I want you to notice something that sometimes is overlooked in the scripture. I want you to notice that Jesus can heal, and he can heal and touch lives that are miles away. This is our first biblical example in the chronological story of Jesus. Our first example of Jesus doing a miracle that wasn't right in front of him. Jesus did a miracle, but at this moment, when he told this man, he said, go back home, your son will live. Remember where the man and Jesus are. Remember where the son is. There's a 20-mile day walk difference between where they're at. From here to, I don't know, Tyler Mall, maybe a little bit further than that. When Jesus turned water into wine, he was right there. Jesus is doing a miracle that is separated by a good deal of distance back in their world. Jesus absolutely obliged to this miracle. This man was so desperate, he was willing to try anything. And he was willing to try Jesus. Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe was a tragic, tragic figure in American literature. His parents were penniless actors who died when he was young. He went to live with strangers in a very, in a very unstable and abusive home and, and an unhealthy atmosphere. And when he was young, as a young man, his one true love died and just left him broken and an alcohol-addicted man. And it was no wonder that his writings were so filled with despair. 
Shortly after his wife's death, he wrote one of his most famous poems. It's called The Raven, and he starts out like this. He says, Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. The story is of a depressed man who's alone in his study, filled with grief, just going mad in this room because of the death of his beloved Lenore. And this word echoes in almost the line, the end of every line in this poem is this haunting word, nevermore. Is there anything beyond the grave? Will I, will, will I live after death? Will I ever see Lenore? Will I ever have hope again? No, nevermore, nevermore, nevermore. And then the poem ends and it says, And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. If we compare that with a poem from a gentleman named Virgil Brock, Mr. Brock, he was a Christian, he was a hymn writer, and he was also a poem writer. And one day he was out at twilight, and, and as the darkness was, was coming over him and the sun setting to the west, and he thought about the death of those who had left this world before him, friends, family, relatives, and he's thinking of eternity, and, and his thoughts of, of those who used to be on this earth who he loved just just crushed his heart, but he wrote these words. He says, Beyond the sunset, O glad reunion with our dear loved ones who've gone before. In that fair homeland, we know no parting beyond the sunset forevermore. See, the soul without Christ lives in nevermore, but the Christian's heart sings forevermore, and that makes all the difference. There is hope in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Finally, the Apostle John continues in John chapter 4, verse number 51. He says this, While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And And his entire household believed in Jesus. Here's the final point in your notes this morning. Once people touch and feel their Savior, a personal trust in Jesus deepens. Once people touch and feel their Savior, a personal trust in Jesus deepens. See, this man now knows Jesus. It's not that he saw Jesus or heard about Jesus. He knows Jesus because he's experienced Jesus. When people experience Jesus, their personal trust in their Savior deepens. It's that personal relationship. It's that time spent in prayer. It's that time spent in our Bible study. I don't know many people who stay in their rooms and just get on their knees and start talking to the wall to have a personal relationship with an inanimate object that can do nothing. But I know millions of people worldwide that get on their knees and talk to Jesus every day. They talk to Jesus because there's a personal relationship that drives a soul deeper in touch with Christ. 
That's what happens when we experience what Jesus can do, when we not just see what he can do in the lives of others, when we don't just hear about how he healed other people, but when we go to Jesus and say, I need you, I believe in you, I know that, that what do, Jesus, help. And we're there and we're opening up our hearts and we're opening up our lives for the experience that comes with knowing Jesus. When he touches you personally, it's not just seeing his work in others and it's not just hearing it's his work in others. That's curiosity's action step number one. Some of you here have been in a world and a life of living with Christ for many, many, many years. But there's people who could be 60 years going to church and still be at curiosity step number one. We call it a Christian walk for a reason. When we walk somewhere, we're going somewhere, right? We're in a different place tomorrow than we were yesterday. A Christian walk is a walk that grows. It's a position in our life that grows. And in this case, it's growing deeper. It's getting to know somebody deeper. I'd use the example before we even started our sermon about if, if you're at work and you've got a new coworker, and you spend time getting to know your coworker, and it's similar to this room. We're going to take some time to figure out this room and how this room works, right? And as we do, as we spend weeks here in this room, we'll be changing things that fit the room and the room, and we'll kind of mold in together. Once you spend time with Jesus, you get to know Jesus, and you get to know what Jesus is expecting from us, and Jesus is telling us in his word, live like this, and you will be safe. Live like this, and I'm going to lead you into a path of joyfulness. There are boundaries to the Christian life. And he says, stay within these boundaries. And I have an amazing plan for you. And I want to show you, don't make your own rules. You can't take my words and twist them. You can't make them say whatever you want them to say. But you live this path and I'm going to show you something that you didn't even know existed. There's a sense of wonder that comes with knowing Jesus. And some of us are wondering, some of us are wondering about this whole Jesus thing. You might be here today and maybe this is your first, second time. Maybe you've just started kicking the tires of this Jesus thing. You've got this curiosity. You're wondering if this Bible thing is actually true. Did the Son of God really leave His majesty in heaven to come and be born as a baby and then to die on a cross to pay for our sins? And let me answer the question of your curiosity. Absolutely yes. That's what He did. And He did it for us. He created us. He loves us. He wants to live with us. He sent His Son to create a way that you and I can spend eternity with us. And He give, gave us a life rule book. And if you're here this morning and you don't, and you're not quite sure, and you haven't experienced Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to come forward, and I want to pray with you. Because you can be here today, and you can hear what I say, and you can see what Jesus is doing in the lives of other people. But that relationship deepens when we know Him ourselves, and we see Him work in our life.